everyone has that friend, that best buddy. In my case, the guy I like to go fishing with. You know, that person who gives advice that you should never, ever, ever take. Ryan Johnson is that guy, a former college hockey player and I'll call him accomplished Minnesota angler. The guy I call up when I want to go stretch a line and maybe cause a little trouble. Today, Ryan and I share a few fish tales, and Ryan talks about a couple of his favorite fishing techniques that I guarantee you. And when I'm being serious, I'm being dead serious. They will help more fish. Ryan. I can't believe you found time for me today. Between your fishing life and your family life, you're like the busiest guy I know. What's an average day like for you, coach? Well, it depends on what time of the year. Parent. You know, fishing season's not open yet, so. Which is why you're so Plenty tanned. of time. You're sitting here in the world headquarters of the Minnesota Bond podcast, and you look like you just came out of a tanning booth. Where have you been? Well, we took a little trip down to Florida for spring break with the kids, did family. You fishing? We got out a couple days. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a little uh, backwater snooking and red fishing and Jack Kervalin. And uh, then we did a little charter boat out to uh, 20 miles offshore, catch some uh, snappers and grunts and um, all sorts of funny looking fish. All right. So when you say family, what is your family? (laughs) You're married. I'm married. The most beautiful redhead you've ever seen in your life. Blow your doors off. Uh, So that's my wife. Um, Not sure how, but it is. And we have four uh, little youngsters together. Yeah. Yeah. Set of twins. Set of twins that are getting heavy into the fishing. They really enjoy it. Uh, They're about 11. And uh, then I got a little guy that is a uh, Havoc uh, creator. And uh, we bring him with sometimes. And then I got a little girl. Little baby. Named? Laken. Exactly. Part of the mantra of... Who you are. Yeah. She's special. They're all special. Something different about girls, though. Yeah. They're just different. They're just different. She's got you wrapped around her little finger. Something I never knew. Yeah. Until you had had three boys. Until you have a little girl. Well, two boys, one demon. Yeah, that's true. And a little girl. Yeah. All right. So you keep very busy these days. Obviously... Family is very important to you. Your coaching, uh, hockey, which is nonstop. Plus, you try and keep a job as one of Minnesota's most successful real estate pros. But I want to actually go back in time. And, and, and if there's any time left in between all that, maybe you and I get a chance to go fish together for like an hour or two when there's time. But I want to go back in time. To when you were a little guy. Like, what was life like for you? Uh, well, as far as fishing? Just, what did you do as a kid? Uh, so I, I, uh, I, I had a great childhood. Uh, fantastic childhood. My parents were amazing. Still are amazing. Um, and, um, you know, I spent a lot of my time in the, in the ice rink, kind of like I do now. And when I wasn't there, my parents had a... But different. You're coaching now and you were playing, playing back sure. then. Um, but some of my favorite memories as a kid was my parents had a, a boat on the St. Croix out of Bayport. And um, they had a big docking system in Bayport there at the marina. And I just remember getting up as a kid before anybody got up and I'd walk up and down the docks. I actually have a pretty good story. So it was a big boat that you'd sleep on? Yeah. So they had a, a boat, uh, I think it was like a 38-foot you know, boat that at the time that had sleeping arrangements. I think it slept up to like eight people. And I had a little rubber dinghy that I would drive around on when they were out cruising. I would 
follow them and jump their wake, which was pretty fun. In fact, good story. One time I was driving and I had jumped so many wakes that day, the, the clamps on the motor had loosened. So as I'm cruising along the shoreline, the motor falls off. Luckily, I had grabbed onto the handle wow. and was holding it down in the water while it was still running, was able to turn the, the throttle back and save the motor without losing. I still don't know how I held on to it, but somehow I held on to it. I don't know if my parents ever heard that story or not. It's people, it's people like you. You know, my family had a similar story. My grandfather was very proud and on the Ottawa River. He was the first guy to have the three and 9.9 horse Evinrude tandem motor, like the late 50s. My dad and my uncle put it on the boat, take it out, and they drop it. First day to the bottom of the river. No, no. So I always had to double check the clamps. We had a cable safety system. So whatever boat, I always had to clamp the motor in. It's just such a pain. Well, I started checking you. I started checking after that, but I did not know. And I'm so what thankful. What size motor was it? It was a 15 horse Evinrude. Yikes! You yeah. were a strong kid, right? So, but that was a fun little boat because we used to jump the wakes. There's a lot of big cabin cruisers out there, and we used to jump the wakes, and um, we'd get pretty good air. It was pretty fun. Um, but when I wasn't doing that, my very first uh, memories of fishing was I'd walk up and down the docks at the marina, and I would cast towards the shore. They'd be offset from the shore, 10, 12 feet. And um, I'll never forget, I don't know who this guy is. Maybe he's listening. Maybe he's out there. If he is, call in. But uh, one day I was walking up and down the docks, and I'm just you know, a 10-year-old, 12-year-old kid, and I'm casting my bait to the docks. And back then I used to catch smallmouth, but I didn't realize they were smallmouth. I used to think they were rock bass, so I'd always be bummed out when I caught a smallmouth. <laughs> Because I was going for largemouth, which were a little bit bigger on the river than than the smallmouth we would catch. And um, early morning, I'm walking up and down the docks, casting at the bank, and this guy walks up to me. He says, hey, kid, you're doing it wrong. You've got to cast along the dock, get your bait under the dock. And I remember this guy, as clear as day, took his white spinnerbait, chucked it next to the dock, brought it parallel underneath the dock, Boom, the biggest largemouth I've ever seen in my life hit his bait. Now, as an adult, I think back on that story, and I was uh, floored that this guy caught this huge bass, which at the time had to be a four or five-pound bass. As a kid, I was used to catching 12, 13-inch bass, right? This is the biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. And now as an adult, looking back on that story, I'm thinking that guy must have been like, holy moly, I caught this thing right in front of this kid on my first cast. Couldn't have planned that any better. Oh, my phone's ringing. Yeah. We have a caller. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So so you were fishing when you were a kid. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to get up before anybody in the boat would get up, and I'd walk the docks, and I'd go fishing. And um, usually when I'd catch something, I'd come run back and make them look at it, and then they'd go back to bed. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I started fishing kind of by myself, just walking up and down the docks at, at the nine, 10 years old. Oh, wow. And it was my grandpa. Um, my dad took me fishing a little bit. We went out to Canada a couple of times, but it was my grandpa, Leo, actually, who would take me fishing and would take me down to the river and would take me to launches on Mille Lacs and tell fish stories, of course, about, uh, all the fish that they've caught and everything throughout the years. But he was the one that really instilled, um, uh, my love of fishing and, um, and took me out more, more than uh, than anybody else. I've learned two things about you today. Interesting, Leo, Grandpa Leo. Yeah, Grandpa One Leo. One of your twins is named Leo. Yep, yep. After Grandpa Leo. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right, so let's let's move forward a little bit. You're a youth hockey player. You're a really good youth hockey player. You end up going and playing at one of the best college hockey schools on planet Earth. You were a Saint Cloud Husky. At that point, were you still fishing, or was sports just everything? Uh, at that point, pretty much sports was everything. We didn't have a lot of time to fish. During the summer, of course, we tried to get out a little bit, but um, that was just more uh, on an off day to try to – it definitely wasn't the focus at that point. 
up at at school in St. Cloud, a buddy of mine, uh, we used to go down to the river below the dam and fish. And um, actually had some really good bites up there, walleye, smallmouth. We used to walk up and down the river when we had time. And that was a lot of fun. But no, fishing was definitely not the priority during that time. So at what point in your life did fishing become a thing again? Yeah, so after I got out of college, um, you know, I wasn't wasn't married yet and um was dating dating my future my my current wife at that at time your current wife my, my well my that my, insinuates there was another <laughs> there was no there was no other there was none other no, there was none other uh was was dating at the time we weren't married yet we didn't have kids yet and at that point um i started fishing the silverado pro-am that was kind of a local little deal they used to do around here and fished that for a couple of years on the on the non-boater side and then and then made the jump to the boulder side and and uh, fished that for a couple more years before before it kind of went away. Hmm. Yeah, and that's where we met. What? Yeah, we got paired up in like I, I don't even know what you call it. It was a sponsor tournament. Yeah, and yeah, I just remember you were standing there in a jersey, red, white, and blue. God bless America, and all these sponsors or whatever. And you're like, where do you want to fish? And I'm like, I don't know. Where do, where do you want to fish? <laughs> and you're like, uh, I don't know. Where do you want to fish? <laughs> like, we both like Minnetonka, but I had no idea who you were. It's like, I didn't want to give away spots. You didn't want to give away spots. Oh, I didn't care. Oh, you cared. I will tell you the hardest fish to catch. I believe this are other people's fish, hmm. right? Well, apparently that day we caught your fish. Then, yes, yeah, we did. It was, you caught my fish oh, under the dock, no less. Yeah. So you took that advice from you, when you were a little kid and applied it to yeah competitive right. fishing, right? And next thing you know, we're on the podium. Yeah. And ever since, you and I have never stepped off that podium. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, true story though, and and I don't know, maybe I've shared this one before, but we get to know each other, we like fishing, we take an adventure, and we're on a float plane in Canada. And I'm noticing the planes bouncing around a little bit in the turbulence. We're heading north off the grid to a remote cabin on a fly-in bass lake. And I turn to you, and you look a little pale, a little more pale than you are right now with this <sighs> tan of yours. And I go, are, are you okay? And you kind of go, hey, I, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, ooh, do you have a problem with airplanes? You remember what you said? No. You said, oh, yeah. I, I, I don't have a problem with airplanes. It's just the crashing part. <laughs> Well, that is a slight concern of mine. I don't love flying. I do it, uh, but I don't love it. Uh, never. Well, I, actually, I really liked it when I was a kid. Um, had a couple uh, uh, not great flights later in life that kind of put a little fear into me. But um, uh, especially on the, those small little, those little beaver tail. I think we were taking up there. Um, the flight, the flight is great. It's just the prospect of crashing that's not as fun. And I look uh -huh. at you like, why are you telling me this right now? <laughs> but we got to our destination safely, yeah. Yeah. and and Aaron Ochtenberg, photojournalist, was with us. So two or three got to this little cabin north of Atacokan, Ontario, in good health. Yeah, I wasn't so much. Remember uh, that I tweaked my back. Yeah. And all I remember about that first night, we're in the cabin, everyone's sleeping, I wake up, I need to use the restroom. Pitch black. Can't tell what's up, what's down. I'm pretty sure the restroom was an outhouse outside. It was. And I'm like, well, I'll just sneak out to the restroom. But I literally couldn't move out of my bed. So it took me 15 minutes crawling in complete darkness across the floor, like, Gritty old cabin dirt, like crawling with every ounce I had to get outside just so I could drain the waders. 
And I, the whole time I'm thinking, like, is Ryan laying in bed just laughing at me because he knows what's going on? I um I yeah. had no idea that was going on. Yeah, I was sound asleep. Well, that was a low point in life yeah. for me. Man, my back was tweaked. And what was the name of the outfitter? Wasn't it uh, Chet McCanoe? Chet McCanoe Outfitters. Yeah, I think it was uh, Canoe Canada. Oh. And uh, did we catch any fish that trip? That was a quite quite an amazing trip. Um, I think we planned that the fishing wasn't. We didn't. We didn't fish how we thought we were going to fish. I don't think. Mm-mm. We kind of thought fish would be suspended off points. We'd have to throw jerk baits. We'd have to throw flukes, and we'd have to kind of entice them. But we found rapids with huge boulders from lake to lake that were full of smallmouth. And uh, we rock hopped. Just hopped all over the rocks, which was super fun for me because my back felt great. <laughs> and it was not, <laughs> was not as fun for you. It was awesome. And you were like a child. Yeah, you were like fun. a six-year-old just running down to the next lake. End of that trip actually was pretty funny. I had little satellite, you know, communication deal. Jeremy Dixon, who runs the whole operation, is like, hey, plane's not coming to get you. Too many clouds, too much fog. You've got a few hours. So we actually, cabins cleaned up, boats are up. We actually pulled the boat down, zip down the lake to our spot where we're catching fish. Mm-hmm. Like, should we adventure down into the next lake? I mean, we have three hours and it'll be amazing. Here comes the plane flying in to get us. And those guys, pilots, bush pilots at those camps, don't want to wait an extra 10 minutes. They don't want to wait an extra 30 seconds. So we're racing back up the lake with this, whatever, six horsepower <laughs> Yamaha on the back of this boat. Through a portage. Through a portage, correct, right. to get back. And that guy was, that pilot was ticked. He probably had been happier earlier in the day. Well, whatever. And then you start showing him fishing pictures, and that didn't make him feel any better. Just one of many adventures. Yeah, that was fun. All right. When we come back, I actually want to be a little bit serious with you, if that's even possible. But you've got a couple of fishing techniques that are awfully good, and we're going to talk about them when we come back. Deal? Sounds good. All right. I'm Bill Shirk. My partner in crime today, my fishing buddy, Ryan Johnson, and this is the Minnesota Bound Podcast, the stories behind the stories. You know, we have so many great sponsors who support us. Um, Up first, we'd like to thank the Minnesota Propane Association. Most people agree that we need to lower our carbon footprint while providing reliable and affordable energy. A diverse energy mix will provide reliability and affordability, which is extremely important during Minnesota's four distinct seasons. Fortunately, a clean energy solution for tomorrow is available today. That's ready to work alongside with other energy sources, and it's propane. Propane produces 43% fewer emissions than electricity generated from the U.S. grid. Propane is energy stored on site and independent from the vulnerabilities of the grid. And propane's benefits don't end there. Major advances are being made today for renewable propane that is compatible with the traditional propane and requires no additional infrastructure investments. Minnesota needs to use all our low-carbon alternatives, including propane, to safely provide energy, reliability, resiliency, and affordability. Propane, the right energy right now. To find out more about what propane can do for you, visit propane.com. Also, a shout-out to our friends at Connecticut. You know, spring is so darn close. That means we're going to be back at the cabin, we're going to be fishing, we're going to be skiing, doing all the fun stuff, and that means Connecticut water in the woods. Last summer, we were lucky enough to add Connecticut water at the cabin, and what a difference it has made. For as long as I can remember, we dealt with that stinky, foul well water. But after a painless four-hour installation, we now have Connecticut soft water, and also Connecticut's K5 drinking system. No more bottled water in the morning to try and make coffee before going topwater fishing. 
We've got great drinking water right out of the K5 tap. Our laundry no longer smells funny, and Connecticut Water cleaned up the showers and the dishes. The world's most efficient worry-free water system. Visit Connecticut.com to find a dealer near you and join the Connecticut family. Also, we'd like to give a shout-out to Aquaside. If you own a lake home or if you have a pond on your property, you need to call the Aquaside Company. Aquaside has been helping people maintain healthy lake shores and ponds for over 68 years. Aquaside products are easy to use and begin working right away. Aquaside is registered with both the Environmental Protection Agency and Department of Natural Resources. Don't let weeds overtake your lake or pond this summer. Call Aquaside today. They'll help you identify problematic weed types, assist with product selection, and calculate application rates. Aquaside will make sure lake fronts look great all summer long. You can call them at 1-800-328-9350 or go to Aquaside.com. Check with your state agency for local application guidelines. All right, Ryan, you and I have been on all kinds of fishing adventures yes you just got back from spring break with the family in florida did the saltwater thing but your love is really bass fishing well my first love oh it's pretty hard to beat a tarpon pulling 200 yards of drag off jumping wildly for fighting them for an hour now, you didn't mention that as part of your trip with the family. That wasn't this year, but I have spent some time tarpon fishing in Florida uh, in the, the last 10 years. And um, I would say that's my definitely my new love. Interesting. Yeah. But my first love is definitely bass fishing. So it's funny because I consider your body a canvas. And much of that canvas is covered in ink, but I have never seen a tarpon. Well, I should change tattoo. that, actually. Nor have I seen a bass. Right. Yeah, I guess that's um, something that's got to get added. Wow. Yeah. I want to be there when that happens. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Okay. So if you're not tarpon fishing, you still appreciate bass fishing. Is that yes. a better way to state that? Absolutely. And what's your favorite way to catch them? Well, um, that's a great question. Thanks. That's why uh, I asked it. I don't know if I can commit to one way. I absolutely love topwater fishing, as I think most people do. It's the visual uh, cues behind a topwater bite are pretty amazing. But I'd also say, you know, the flipping bite is also probably right up there. If I had to pick two, it'd be flipping and it'd be topwater. So specifically topwater, overcover, frog type baits. Of which you are so good that you actually are going to be a television star this year because you took out my co-host... Laura Shera and taught her to topwater fish as part of a Minnesota Vaughn story. Yeah, that was that was quite a fun day, actually. Uh, we got out last summer, late in the summer, and um, yeah, we uh, we housed them. That's a good word. What? So, how do you teach somebody that's new to it? I'm not saying Laura was new to it, but it takes technique. So, I how would. do you teach? Uh, so, um, topwater, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're just beginning bass fishing, the, probably the biggest thing with topwater fishing, especially over cover is you, you have a different setup. I would imagine most people that, um, start bass fishing probably start with a spinning rod. And if you throw a frog on a spinning rod, I think your chances dramatically decrease for landing a fish, right? So the first thing you got to do is you got to learn how to use a bait caster and get a little bit stiffer rod. Okay. Once you got that down and you're comfortable with the bait caster, you're able to cast it, um, you know, being able to cast the frog a long ways definitely helps get away from the boat. You know, letting the fish know that you're, you're in the area definitely, uh, helps to up your percentage of strikes. But, um, 
really the main thing is is you've got to have patience when they strike. <laughs> if you get real excited and you want to set that hook immediately when you see that visual blow up, you're you're going to have trouble landing them, I think. You really got to be a little bit patient. It is fishing's version of buck fever. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, because you see it coming, and immediately your brain wants to say, set the hook, real, real, real. And um, something about it, you know, I, you know, a lot of people say the fish has got to take the bait down. They've got to turn with it. They've got to do whatever. They've got to get it in their mouth. Uh, I guess I'm not 100% sure exactly what it is, but there's definitely a strategy to where you have to uh, give it a, a split second or a second. you got to let it take that bait for a second before you cross his eyes and reel as hard as you can. And once you figure it out, once you do it a few times, it gets a lot easier. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So heavy bait caster rod, when we're talking line, how heavy? So, I, you know, I used to use real heavy line, and then, you know, I kind of realized that, you know, some of the medium-sized line, actually, you can cast further. It probably cuts through the vegetation a little bit better, and it's... Uh, almost impossible to break. So I think when we started, a lot of people were using, you know, 65, 70, 80 pound braid. And I think I've scaled it all the way back to about uh, 40 or 50 pound braid now for, for frogs. You can still whale on them. You can you're still snap yep, line. You're not snapping line. You can still hit them. And the braid nowadays is so good. Um, you know, I think line quality in the last 10 years has really just, you know, improved a lot and so you can use a little bit smaller diameter a little smaller test line you can cast it a little bit further cuts through the vegetation a little bit better and it's still just as strong i have noticed when you cast like 40 yards past anything past anything all right so if somebody is going to just head out and try this on an average lake where are you telling them to go? Well, uh, definitely for frogs, you want to find some sort of vegetation, especially you know if you're fishing for largemouth. Largemouth love the cover. They love the vegetation. Um, and so you want to find somewhere that's got some vegetation. You know, I also like to look for a little bit deeper water around that vegetation. It seems like uh, there's it's just more of a... Uh, consistent bite around that area. Of course, there are times when you'll find them ultra shallow um, and cover, but it seems like when you find a little bit deeper water around some sort of top vegetation like uh, lily pads or even reeds or um, anything that lays on the top of the water, um, you know, could be blown in vegetation that's been cut up or, you know, um, anything really that creates a uh, a canopy. Um, if you can find a little bit deeper water along there on the edge of it, that's, I would say, where to start. Because they get to come up, hide yep. in that cover, and they know they've got a safe spot to disappear if there's any danger. I don't know if you've noticed, but they don't wear sunglasses. So that sun beating into their face, you know, they need some shade. Thank you, Dr. Johnson. Captain Obvious. Captain Obvious. All right, let's talk your other favorite technique, flipping. That is an acquired taste, so yeah. to speak. Not everyone can flip. I shouldn't say it that way. Some people can flip, but they're not necessarily doing it right. Well, yeah, I mean, if you want to... Um, most of what we do isn't... F uh, your your your. Your definition of flipping, right? Flipping, which I think when we when we think of flipping, we think of just pitching the bait to cover, right? A lot of guys that will actually flip flip are are making uh, numerous amounts of casts where the bales usually close and they're just picking up line with their hand and dropping it back down in extremely heavy cover with very heavy weights and punching through matted. Most of what we're doing is we're we're trying to find heavy cover and we're kind of pitching to that cover and trying to get our bait down. The key is you got to get your bait to the bottom. 
Uh, I don't know if I've ever had a bite flipping where my bait doesn't hit the bottom of the lake. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest, there's probably two things that are the hardest to figure out with flipping is one, making sure your bait's on the bottom and then two, feeling that strike. It's definitely a different strike. It is not a vicious topwater blow up or even how they'll hit a, a, a jig. It is a subtle bite where there's pressure. And when you get on a good flipping bite, to me, even though the bite is very subtle and it's pressure-based, there's still not a lot that's better than, you know, checking that tension and feeling it heavy, setting the hook and, you know, pulling a four or five pounder through 10 pounds of vegetation. What about landing the bait quietly on the water and flipping? Does that matter? I mean, I'd say it definitely matters. You know, you, any, anybody that goes out fishing, if you can see the fish, they can probably see you, right? And likewise, if they hear you, if they hear a lot of commotion, I think it kind of triggers them to say, okay, something's different here. Something's not right. If a fish can't see you and can't hear you, I would say they are far more likely to strike your bait. So anytime you can be quiet with your approach, with your cast, you're going to give yourself a better chance of hooking a fish. You're essentially looking for the heaviest weed cover on the lake. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Pretty much looking for stuff that, you know, if you threw a, if you threw a cracker out on it, it's going to sit on there for a couple of days, or an Oreo or a Pringle or something, you know, something that my third child would throw out of the boat. Not a spinning rod. Not a spinning Technic. rod. No. You want uh, it's similar to what you throw with a frog, right? Heavy, um, medium heavy to heavy action. Seven, seven and a half, even eight foot rod. Um, something that's got a lot of leverage on it. That when that fish bites right in front of you, you're able to uh, really pull on it. Heavy weight. Heavy weight. Usually about anywhere from three quarters of an ounce to an ounce to ounce and a half. Which seems really heavy, but that's the whole point. You have right. to have that so that it. Pulls the bait and the hook down through that cover to get to the bottom. You got to get to the bottom. If you're not on the bottom, you're probably not getting bit. Line? Is 40-pound line working, or is this I'm, where you're using again, 60 to 80? No, I'm using, I believe on my flipping setups, I'm using anywhere from 40 to uh, 50, 55-pound line. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, can anyone do this, or do you have to be a master? Well, I know Keith can't. <laughs> <laughs> Keith Ballard, to, yeah, tried specifically. To, tried to teach Keith, but uh, you know, I think he uh, he would be another of the fishing posse. Yeah, right. Um, sort of. Um, yeah, pretty much anybody can do it. I would say it it's definitely something that you're not going to just go out and catch a bunch of fish flipping your first time. You definitely need to work on it. You need to work on your approach. You need to work on your your pitching, and you need to work on you know making sure your bait's on the bottom, and then again, what that strike feels like because it is. It's very different. It's a very different feel. I always try to tell people that I'm fishing with that don't do it a lot. Um, I'll grab their shirt and I'll just kind of pull on their sleeve and feel the weight of that pull, right? That's really what that bite feels like. It's just heavy. You, 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 you check your bait, you pull up on your, your, your bait to feel the tension, and it's, it's just a heavy. Once in a while, sure, you can feel a jolt when they take your bait in their mouth, but for the most part, it's just a heavy feel on your line. And that fish got it in their mouth, and they're just sitting down there with it in their mouth. Kapow. I used to try and flip when I was a lot younger. Picture me in a 1979 16-foot open Lund rowboat. Had like a metal bow thing on the front of it that was loose. The rivets were loose, so it was rattling. And I had a 25-horsepower Johnson, so I'd be standing in the back of the boat using a foot on the little clutch to put it in gear, take it out of gear, so I could just sort of slide backwards and look for holes in the weeds, probably using like an $8 Fleet Farm spinning rod. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how you learn. Right, that's how you learn. And honestly, uh, the boat doesn't matter, right? You want something that's going to go it's preferable if you have a trolling motor so you can kind of go quiet and creep up through there, get through the vegetation. But the boat doesn't matter, right? 
that, and almost it's more fun than a little boat that, you know, isn't sparkling. That's what I found. All right. I have one more adventure to talk about when we come back, but I'm not going to cue you yet because you might get up and leave. Ryan Johnson, my fishing buddy, is our guest today. Uh, before we get to another fishing adventure, though, we need to thank a few of the sponsors who help make the Minnesota Bound podcast happen. I'd like to talk a little bit about the Minnesota Historical Society. Right now, the Minnesota History Center presents Sherlock Holmes, the exhibition. Step into Victorian London and explore the world of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's world-famous detective. Learn about the powers of observation, deduction, and science while solving an interactive mystery. Try the hands-on gadgets and experiments that are based on real forensics and make learning fun. See exactly how Sherlock influenced both real detectives and pop culture. Last chance, the exhibit closes soon. Learn more at mnhs.org slash SherlockMN. Also, we'd like to thank our friends at Star Bank. Hi there, Ron Shera here for Star Bank. If you're putting your money into mega banks down the street, who knows where that money's being used? Bank locally. Keep your money local with a community bank that actually cares about you, your family, your business, and your goals. Check out the bank we use at Minnesota Bound. Try Minnesota's own Star Bank. You can find them online at starbank.net. When you call Star Bank, you actually hear a real living person answering the phone. StarBank has 10 convenient locations around Minnesota to serve you and all the mobile banking products that you need to manage your money. Check out all that StarBank has to offer at StarBank.net. Remember FDIC, an equal housing lender. And here's a word from Rudy Luther Toyota. Ready for a women-forward car dealership? Rudy Luther Toyota empowers their many women on staff in sales, management, and service. Whether you are looking for a new Toyota or pre-owned vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota has something for everyone. Every vehicle comes with a Luther Advantage. 10 cents off fuel and car wash discounts at holiday stations, Luther Advantage warranty, and five-day return policy on pre-owned vehicles. Located just five minutes west of downtown Minneapolis, off 394 and General Mills Boulevard. And they're also hiring. Want to join the team but don't know where to start? Visit RudyLutherToyota.com today. Okay. My fishing pal, my buddy, Ryan Johnson is here today, and you and I have had some pretty good adventures. I'm sure we have more on our bucket list. Do you have a favorite trip we've been on? Uh, well. Or a favorite uh, fishing spot? Uh, actually, you know, probably my favorite trip that we've done was, uh, you know, the Canada trips are, are hard to beat. And, and, and that was probably, probably the most fun, the most, the most amazing trip, but probably a close second or maybe even tied for first is the float we did down the river. That was really fun. With, and something we don't do. I don't do all the time. With your brother-in-law? Yeah, we did it with my brother-in-law. Actually, I, I purchased a guided trip with you. Yeah. What were you thinking? I was trying to save you. That's <laughs> <laughs> what it came down to. And well, uh, explain that. <laughs> well, the way I explain it, um, and, and have explained it many times, was we, we did a uh, uh, a fishing uh, little fishing tournament for the Minnesota Wild, Wild on the Water, uh, up at Malax out of Isades. And um, part of that is the night before the tournament, we have a little. Um, uh, get together with a silent auction and the, you know, the wild personnel's there and some of the players and then some of the, f the fans that have bought trips to be in the boat for the tournament the next day. And we've got a little bit of food and some drinks and they do a little bit of a silent auction. They do a little bit of a auction where they auction off some guide trips and, you know, so I can't remember who they started with. I think it was Ron. They started with, they offered, they offered a trip with Ron, Ron Shero. and we're talking big money here. I mean, it's just climbing 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. I mean, it's crazy, right? Someone gets the trip sold. Uh, then they go to, they go to Travis and, um, you know, Tra Travis Frank, obviously, uh, 
and um, they offer off a trip with Travis. And it's again, it's you know, 500, 700, 800, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000, and sold. You know, all these great trips are going going off, and they offer the third trip with Bill. And they start the bidding at 1,000, and it's crickets. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely a pin drop. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, oh, sh- crap, right? Like. You know, it's it's gonna pick up. Somebody's gonna somebody's a bit, and they go, okay, okay, you know, eight hundred, and uh, no nobody bites, and all right, seven hundred, seven hundred, and I'm just like, well, pff, this is my buddy, right? Like this is my buddy Bill. I gotta save him. I raise my hand. I'm like seven hundred dollars, and uh, I'm like, obviously someone's gonna <laughs> gonna pick up the bidding, and you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna have to pay to go fishing with my friend that I go fishing fishing with all the time for free. And uh, nope, I was wrong. I bought the trip for $700. <laughs> and um, honestly, the trip was worth it. We had a great time. I am speechless, and you are proof that the cliche holds true. <laughs> Never let facts get in the way of a good I'm story. I'm pretty sure that's exactly how it went. Did you catch any fish that That day? was a great trip. So we drifted the Mississippi. In a classic drift boat. Right. And um, in a drift boat, which I had never really fished out of before, obviously. Uh, always been in you know, power boats. And um, it, it's just different type of fishing, right? It's so peaceful and relaxed. And um, nobody else is on the water. Quiet. Nature's all around. And the fishing was great. Um, I brought my brother-in-law with who's not really a good fisherman at all. You know, we really had to kind of help him along. But, um, you know, he managed uh, with some coaching to kind of figure it out a little bit. And uh, halfway down, we stopped. You made steaks. Whoa. You made steaks for all of us. Whoa. And uh, it was probably the best meal I've ever had. Wow. Top five for sure. <laughs> and um, we ate. We had fun. We laugh we joked jumped in the water um got back in the drift boat and continued to just catch fish left and right we did catch a lot of fish that yeah day. it was great you had your technique down back in the day we used to do that almost exclusively with fly rods but i knew that probably wouldn't work for you so probably would have been figured figured out. i don't think derek would have <laughs> being kind of a novice fisherman that he is is that another perch i caught uh we had so much fun. Truth be told, that is one of my favorite things on planet Earth to do. Drifting that river, catching those fish, I love it. Priceless. Just priceless. Yeah, it's real. Di- it's different. You mm-hmm. know, I grew up fishing in Minnesota, natural lakes, and on the river, like I talked about, St. Croix. But, you know, drifting down uh, the Mississippi in a drift boat, it's just, it, it, it's different. It's a completely different feel from a lake. You know, the privacy and the nature and, you know, the birds and the fish. It's just, it's like an untapped resource. You know, it's, you know, lakes can get real busy around here, right? Especially in the metro area. You don't say. Yeah. They can get real, they can get real busy. Um, and to be able to fish for, in the metro area for seven, eight hours and not see another fisherman. That's pretty remarkable. <clears throat> Excuse me. Fun stuff. Well, we'll do it again real soon. Do I have to pay again or <laughs> only if is you that, want to? Is that <laughs> uh, remember when I said at the beginning of the episode that one friend? <laughs> uh well. What I would like to do, if you would return any of my phone calls, you actually live with a very curious river meandering down behind your house. I would love to take the drift boat and try that river. Well, let's go. I'm game. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. We have our summer trip planned. All right. Let's do it. We just need to. It's kind of high right now. (laughs) (laughs) We're. It's definitely a summer trip. It's not a spring trip. Yes. We are recording uh, mid-April, and Minnesota rivers, some of them are at darn near record levels right now. You know, we had like eight feet of snow this winter, and 
Last week, we had three days with record temps in the 80s. So we go from snow to desert heat. So yes, rivers, the flow is up. Cubic feet per second is up. But it'll eventually go back down and we'll go fishing. Uh, do you have any other bucket list trips? Um, you know, for the longest time, you know, tarpon was kind of that one fish that I really wanted to to go after. And, and since I've been uh, lucky enough to do that, um, there's not, there's nothing really that, I mean, we live in such an amazing fishery in this state and we're so close to other amazing fisheries, whether it's Canada or out West or, you know, Wisconsin, Iowa, you know, there, there's, I guess there's not anything that is on top of my mind that I have to do. I feel like had a pretty full fishing life and now you take the kids a now lot. and now i don't really get to re i cast a fair amount but i don't reel in <laughs> nearly as much as i used to bowen leo yeah. brooksy yeah soon to be miss lakin yeah i don't get to reel in as nearly as many fish as i as i used to even though i, I may or may not have hooked those fish seems like the rod is being pulled out of my hand uh by multiple greedy little fingers best thing on planet earth but yeah i wouldn't trade it best thing ever yeah. do you do you still have a uh want of competitive fishing or are you kind of over that um you know i i could see as my kids get older if they're interested in i'd definitely uh go down that road and and help them and fish with them but as far as me personally um not too much not too much anymore I, it, that was fun it's a lot of work. I mean, these guys, I don't think your average um, guy that fishes understands, even the local guys, how much time and effort and preparation and how many amazing, great anglers we have in Minnesota. Um, we've got some guys, obviously, that are on the, on the national um, tours now that are, are doing extremely well. And for every one of them that's doing well, there's a dozen or more guys that are Sleep. almost almost just as good that are back here sleeping in pickups. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There, there's, there, I mean, Minnesota is just filthy with amazing uh, fishermen. You know, so. Um, All right, I have two questions before you get out of here. Two questions that I ask everyone now. First off, your biggest outdoor moment is there. One time, one thing that just changed you. Can you think of a moment outdoors? A moment that changed me. Besides the day we fished together on Lake Minnetonka, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, well, you really put me on the spot here. I can't really think of anything that really changed me. Uh, you know, the story that I told earlier about the guy catching the bass under the dock, um, that was pretty that was one of the things I remember the most um, of my of of growing up fishing, and and, and the second I, I guess the second thing I remember is going fishing with my grandpa uh, on little I don't even know what the name of it is, but it was an offshoot of the Mississippi that would come out of actually it was in Fridley, uh, Lock Lake. You, you know Lock Lake in Fridley? I think it's Lock Lake. It's got a little dam that comes out and it it flows into the Mississippi. And not at that dam, which I know is a very popular fishing spot, or at least it used to be when I grew up. But down from that, there's a little bridge. And um, we used to catch a ton of fish right there. Bullheads, carp, whatever, right? And, uh, and as a kid, you know, obviously they're not bass. They're not really game fish, per se, as we would go after today. But Doesn't matter. The, the, that was something to me that really, even though they were kind of raw fish, that was something that really um, sparked my interest in fishing. That's awesome. Is doing that, yeah. And it was just from a bridge with my grandpa catching fish, you know, and uh, him taking the bullheads home and cleaning them with the pliers, and me not trying them, and <laughs> <laughs> him enjoying them. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, second question for you. Um, a favorite piece of outdoor gear? Do you have one thing that just means so much to you? One, one piece of outdoor gear that, like, 
That's yours. That's the memory. Um, I, I guess if I had to, so I'm a kind of a big knife guy. I like knives a lot. And I have a, um, mine's actually, I've had it for a long time. It's Alaska knife set. And whenever I go anywhere, I have, I have mine, I have, whenever I'm outdoors or trip or anywhere, I always have to have my knife with. So I guess that's the one thing that, that really sparked, uh, if I think about, you know, anything outdoors, I gotta, gotta have it peace. It's that knife. Why the knife? And I've seen this. I, I don't know. I just something about knives. I just always love knives. Like uh, something I've got about the them. knife. If they're, I get stuck, I can. Yeah, they're classic. Dinner. You can, I can use it to make fire. You know, I don't know. Maybe it goes back to the only book I've actually ever read was Hatchet. And uh, I don't remember if he had a knife in there or if he just had a hatchet. But he had something that he he had a hatchet. He survived Blade. on right. Yeah. And uh, maybe it was because of that uh, that's that sparked my interest in having a knife always. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, one piece I covet. This isn't about me, but it's a knife that was given to me on my birthday. Your sixtieth, right? <laughs> Time to end this episode. Given to me by someone who used to be a very good friend of mine, and I covet that thing. Heavy duty, and it goes where I go. Thought you lost it. Then I, no, I didn't oh. lose it. Give me a break. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we are going to drift boat in the secret river behind your house. Looking forward to it. Me too. Can't wait. Fishing season's coming. Ryan Johnson, thank you so much. Get back in the boat and get those kids catching. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. So that about does it for the Minnesota Bound podcast, the stories behind the stories. Before we go, I want to thank all the sponsors who help us reach you every week. Of course, the podcast presented by Kinetico Water Treatment Systems. Also, Star Bank, the Minnesota Historical Society, Rudy Luther Toyota, the Minnesota Propane Association, and Aquaside. All right, Ryan, until next week, what do we always tell people? Don't forget to introduce a kid to the great outdoors. See you.